um, and announces the Word of God. Um, the, uh, the Bible reading is from Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 31 to, uh, to 44. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All of the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She then got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came out to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Please join me in prayer uh, before Nate comes up. God, thank you for bringing us all here today. Um, thank you that we get to gather together and worship you. Uh, I thank you that we can do this without fear of persecution. And I pray that we, we do not take that for granted as we live out our lives. Uh, I pray for Nate as he brings the word of God to us today. Uh, please uh, be with him as he preaches. Uh, God, um, let his words be yours. And I pray that we will have attentive hearts and minds ready to listen. Amen. I'm on. I am. Fantastic. I want to start with this idea, and I want you to process what does it mean for you. So one of the points of, of Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel is also demonstrating it, is they tell us these stories because they're trying to point out that Jesus has authority. Not just like one type of authority, he has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons. He has authority over nature. He has authority to raise people from the dead. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to call people. Although with people, it's a bit different. They're the only thing he gives the right to say no. But he has this claim and demonstration of authority. What does it mean for the way we live out our faith if our king has authority in our world? in your workplace, in the communities we're trying to reach, in the struggles that you face, what does it mean for our faith journey 
if our king truly has authority in that space. That there is no authority greater than him. There is nothing barrier that Jesus' authority rubs up against and goes, oh, actually, this outdoes me. He has authority. It means a lot of things, and I think if we talked amongst ourselves, you'd come up with some really good stuff. But a couple of things that I want to suggest, and we'll come back to. We're going to take two interesting detours, because there's some interesting things in the passage. But we're going to come back to this. Because Jesus has authority, he has the authority to see that his kingdom will come. He will establish his kingdom. And when he says that the, the kingdom of the air the kingdom of humanity putting themselves first. When he says that kingdom was par- is passing away and he will establish his kingdom, he has the authority to make that claim and to see it come to pass. Which is very, very comforting for the Christian, right? Because the world doesn't always feel like that. It feels like there's very overpowering forces out there. But because our king has authority and he demonstrates his authority, we know that when he says, this will come to pass, my kingdom will be the only kingdom, that kingdom will pass away, it will be overcome. Um, for me, so that's an amazing comfort for us as Christians, isn't it? But also it means this, and I think this is so powerful if we can live in the truth of it. It means that Jesus has the authority to accomplish everything in you that he wants to. And if we want to extend that, he has the authority to accomplish all he wants to do through you as well. And if you want to get communal about it, he has the authority to accomplish all he wants to do in us. And he has the authority to accomplish all he wants to do through us. I love this line, God's will for us is in reach. God's will for you is in reach because your king has authority. I find that a very powerful idea. In this passage, Jesus shows three types of authority. First, he shows authority as a teacher. We won't reread those two verses, but it says, you know, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Jesus had this way of teaching like he was the definitive authority on the word of God. So he would say things like, you've heard this said, but I say. In other words, look, this rabbi over here may have said that, but let me tell you the right way you should. So he spoke with this, um, I have the final word on how to interpret the word of God and what the true word of God is. He would speak with authority. So this authority as a teacher. But then, and this is the one that makes, makes us, for some of us, a bit skin crawl a bit, he has authority over evil spirits and demons. And we will just reread those verses um, from 33, because um, it's such a fascinating interaction. In the synagogue, not, not many Sunday school sessions are on this sort of, just notice, they don't do too many kids' books, anything like that. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the man threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. 
So he demonstrates this authority over demons, over these things called evil spirits. Um, And we're going to come back to that, but let's just quickly read the next bit um, where he shows another type of authority. He said, from verse 38, it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. So she got up at once and began to wait on them. So Jesus here demonstrates two types of authority. Authority over spirits, authority over the devil, authority over demons, and authority over health, authority over sickness. So let's, um, just a few comments when we encounter this sort of stuff about the spiritual world. And I am by far, there's so much I could learn more about how to engage with this sort of stuff. But let's just start with the brutal reality we need to come to, is that spiritual forces are real. It's, It's so important as a Christian that you are not naive about that. That spiritual forces are real. And, they are, and, and, and the right idea to think about spiritual forces is that it's not like there's the physical world and that occasionally in some little pockets um, there's some spiritual influence out there. Actually, the world is spiritual. There are spiritual forces at play. There is such thing as good. There is such thing as evil. And they do clash. And you are called to discern the difference between the two. So... This is, what, this is what Paul thinks when he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. How many of you start today and go, I'm going to stand against the devil's schemes today? I don't know. Maybe you have it on your mirror. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, Evil exists. There's an interesting book, The People of the Lie. And it's this, um, he, he was the writer of the book, um, oh, what's the book called? Uh, Scott Peck. What's his, he's got a famous book out. Two Roads Diverged in a Wood. Yes, The Road Less Travelled. He became a Christian and he wrote this book from a psychologist's point of view, a psychiatrist, um, on the idea that the, his field struggles because they refuse to call anything evil. And there is just a category of thing you need to call evil. Um, but, that because, but it's not in their way of thinking to do that. Anyway, it was really interesting. Um, but there's two sources of evil I would suggest that, that we can sort of help us think about evil. So your own fleshly desires can pull you in evil directions. So what you want, unchecked by God, unchecked by love of others, just if you live your life, and the Bible warns about this, fully just moved by your lusts, fully moved by your passions, then that will lead you to evil spaces. Um, you know, the Paul, the Paul, define, Paul defines the ungodly as those whose God is their stomach. You cannot think past what you want. You become something evil when you are purely desire-driven, you know, when you are just after the next hit, right? So that's one source of evil, because it's important when we think of evil, we acknowledge the flesh in ourselves. We don't make everything about the devil made me do it, right? Like, we, we, can, be, we can be evil in our own flesh, right? So there's one source of evil there. But also, we just have to come to terms that there are spiritual entities and forces that when you, when you switch on your TV, when you engage with the world out there, um, when you encounter other people, there are forces which are evil. This is true. And that's why discernment is a real thing that we need to take seriously. 
That's why, as Christians, we can't just go with the flow. We have to be discerning. We have to hold up God's word. We have to be in tune with what God says and look at our world with discerning eyes because evil exists. And some of the, some of the bad places I've gotten in my life is because I got casual about the presence of evil in certain spaces, you know? Because like, I think there are, th- this world has a spirit which is anti-God in the mix of it, right? So what does it mean to discern? So we've got this idea of our flesh and these spirits. So this is the way I kind of help, help us think through it. First of all, we need internal discernment. Internal discernment. Because we have two things that the Bible defines in us. You have your flesh... That's just like your human desire to do what you want, when you want. And you have the Holy Spirit. You have your spirit, the spirit of God in you as well. And one of the simple ways to be discerning, and you know what? Most Christians know the answer the moment they pray and stop and ask the question. Am I acting out of my flesh in this moment or am I acting out of God's spirit? Very rarely do I not know the answer to that question when I ask. And usually there's very simple cues. If I'm raging at the world and getting angry and maybe even close to yelling profanities in my head. I'm probably acting out of my flesh. Um, if I'm getting jealous, if I'm getting resentful, you know, there's, there's cues that we're, we're, we're acting out of our flesh. But if I'm defined by the fruits of the Spirit, if I'm acting in gentleness, forgiveness, hope, um, long-suffering, then clearly I'm acting out of my Spirit. So one of the really helpful things to do is go, well, there, my flesh is capable of evil, So whenever I'm going through something, this is why it's important to be still before God. I'm going to be still and ask, what am I acting out of? What am I acting out of? And usually that's enough for you to stop and for the Spirit of God to help you find a different way. Have you had these moments where you're acting out of a certain spirit? You've been angry all day or you've been worried all day, you've been anxious all day, and you pause and you just... I'm acting out of my flesh. I'm acting like God doesn't exist. I'm acting like, like, you know, it's just me and my desires and my struggles against the world and I need to switch over to God is with me and God loves me and God loves the people I'm interacting with. It's amazing how just that simple remembrance of God loves me and he calls me to love others can suddenly flick the switch on a perspective of a conflict you're in with your spouse or maybe even with your child, which can happen. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time at home with my two boys, lots of little... Anyway, um, this isn't a therapy session for me. Right, but, but in, that, in that dynamic, right, so you've got your flesh side, and, and I, like, for me, all right, I'll, I'll lift a little a bit on Nate. So I'm very good at bottling anger and disguising it, but I, anger's one of my things, right? So one of, in my life, I've had to work with anger. And um, I remember just one time, I... I was just angry, like I was just angry at everything that day, every, every, every person, you know, the, in the church I used to be part of, there was these, all these tough issues going on, and every time I thought of someone who was being difficult, I was just getting angry and angrier, and I was walking around, and I couldn't stop getting angry, I was just in a cycle of anger. And, you know, it sounds so stupid, but it took me a long time to pray. I did sit there and ruminate angrily all day, ruminate, spinning around in my head, shaking my fist, getting all tense, probably snapping at the kids. And then then it was like, I went for a walk, and then it was just this moment of, Nate, talk to me about your anger. You're acting out of the side of you that's 
that your self-worth is caught up in how you get along with people, all these sort of flesh-sided things, allow me to feel, allow me to let you release that anger, look at those people with love, let me fill you with my love. And then it's amazing how it can dissipate. It doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes there's a bit more of a struggle. But the reason that can happen, because we're going back to the start, is because, remember this, whatever work God wants to do in you, he has the authority to do. Whatever Jesus wants to do in your heart today, he has the authority to accomplish. And so that's why when we bring it before Jesus, we can experience that authority come and take charge within us and actually change our whole perspective. Has it, has these moments happen with any of you guys where you just feel the switch? You feel like suddenly that flesh energy, that self-focused energy flicks over into the power of God, the authority of God. So that's one thing, we need to be internally discerning. And the other thing is we need to be externally discerning because the world is not a neutral place. The world is not a neutral place. As Christians, we need to constantly be armed with the questions, what is the heart behind this thing that I'm experiencing or this people that's selling me something or this show that I'm watching? Like, nothing is neutral. Everything has values and a way of understanding the world behind it. So we need to be discerning as Christians. But here, we need to be really careful because if you just have that teaching on its own, and, you need, and I say to you, well, you need to learn to label things evil, that can be heard really weirdly. That can be heard like I've given you permission to hate things. That's not the same thing. See, because Jesus has authority and because we are saved by grace, just because you are discerning things as evil doesn't need to equal any sort of hatred towards them. Just because you are discerning something evil that your group of friends does doesn't I mean, because Jesus died for you, because you're someone saved by grace and you know the evil in yourself, because Jesus has authority over that thing that is evil, you actually can be calm and loving and draw appropriate boundaries and maintain relationship. Discerning something as evil doesn't mean you hate it. Discerning someone as evil, even, if they're being particularly evil in an evil spot, doesn't mean that you don't love them and maintain relationship and be a positive influence in their life. Sometimes we need to draw boundaries, but do you know what I mean? That it's not the same thing. When I say discern there are things that there are evil, I don't mean bunker down or hate them and avoid them. I mean go out there in the authority of Christ and be a blessing to a world that is not neutral. Does that make sense? There is light and darkness. We need to carry the authority of Christ with us. But we can't just go with the flow. We must be discerning individuals. So that's two things. But then there's the more comfortable, uncomfortable thing for some of us. Because this is not just that type of thing. This isn't just forces out there that we don't always perceive. This is an encounter with a supernatural manifestation of an actual demon. With a, with a, with a person that speaks. And here's a moment of supernatural deliverance. And we can't dismiss it. We can't say, well, this is just a story. This is, there's these, these real things out there. And some of us might have more experience with things like exorcisms or um, possession and those sorts of things that some people are a bit more uncomfortable with. But let me just tell you that the same comfort I give you for everything else is the same thing, right? Like, Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority. So it's okay. You don't need to freak out around these sorts of things or when people talk about these sorts of things because we have a king who has authority. 
And he has this sort of authority. Get out of him. And the demon gets out. It's that sort of authority. It's that sort of authority. So when it comes to Jesus and his authority, we must be discerning. We must be discerning because the world is evil. Well, no, not the world. There is evil in the world is a better way to put it. It's his world. It's his good world. There is evil in the world, and we need to be discerning individuals. Now, I just want to make a a little point, but I want to come back to sort of the idea of that spiritual authority in a moment. Um, But Jesus has this moment of healing where he expresses authority over sickness, over um, Simon's mother-in-law, I believe it is. Um, When it comes to health, and we have many people in this church with long-term health issues, or no people with long-term health issues, and we have many people in this church who have prayed for healing for those people, for themselves, and it has not happened. It has not happened. So what do we do when a preacher from the front tells you, Jesus also has authority to heal. But then I also know instances where Jesus has healed. So what do we do with this? And I don't, and I, and I don't immaturely connect it because I know people of great faith who've never experienced healing. I know people of, I think I've, I've probably come up with situations of little faith where healing occurred. So what do we do with this world of miraculous healing where Jesus has authority to heal? For me, it's always been, I find most things in Scripture come down to a balance. And I think it's this. We don't lose our faith in Christ's authority. But we always are in submission to his will. And we hold those things in tension. What I mean by that is, yes, Jesus has authority and he can heal. But if that leads to Jesus must heal in the circumstances I say, then it's flipped. You're no longer submitting to him. You're frustrated that he isn't doing what you want, right? So Jesus has authority and we trust him wholeheartedly because this world is not the end and there are things beyond us we don't understand. And that's one of the messages of Job. One of the things about Job is sometimes we act like God gave Job neat answers. He didn't. One of his answers was, I'm God and you don't know. That's one of Job's replies for all his protests towards God. You're not God, you don't know. That's the answer. And, and, so, and that can be unsatisfying for us for humans, but at the end of the day, we fully believe in his authority. I've experienced his authority. I know it's there, but I am in submission to his will. That's a part of faith. That's a part of faith. I want to read a bit more. If we can just jump to um, verses 42 to 44 again. Just read those last verses, and I just want to make a few closing statements. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I love this, right? So Jesus is there. He's with this crowd, and he's healing people, casting out demons, and their, and their like, reaction is so natural they're like, if you could just wait here till tomorrow, I know a bunch of other sick people. Um, 
Just stay here. I'll go get them. No, no, don't go to another town. We've got more things for you to do here. More miracles to do here. All right? Um, and, you know, that he might be possessed. He's pretty crazy. Let's go get him. And so, so Jesus is doing miracles for them. But here's where we need to be careful as well when we talk about miracles and the miraculous. These miracles are for a purpose. To demonstrate that this is the king. To demonstrate that he calls them to follow him and indeed he is the Messiah. So these miracles have fulfilled their purpose. And he needs to go and announce that now to other towns. He's not just going to stick around and do things for them again and again and again. He's got a call to follow attached. I've demonstrated I'm the king. You can now follow me. I now need to go announce this to other people. How do you go with, like, do you sometimes when you hear a teaching like this go, I don't experience the authority of Jesus in my life. We don't experience the authority of Jesus in our church. We just feel completely overwhelmed by the forces of the world out there and our struggles and all these things. But here's the thing. This little little snippet here, this gospel is for the world. This gospel is meant to go out and not just bless this group of people, but it's for the liberation of of the slaves everywhere, for those lost in their sins everywhere. It's for all who would come and respond to the king. And so if we are postured in a way like these people, like just internally with ourselves, looking after ourselves, not really venturing out in the mission God has told us to, well, could I suggest if we are doing that, that would be one of the reasons we're not experiencing the authority of Jesus because our lives are not lining up with what he's called us to. If we want to experience the authority of Jesus in our lives, I believe what we need to do is posture ourselves for what Jesus has called us for, to be part of announcing his kingdom, to be part of liberating the captives, to be part of announcing his forgiveness to the world, to be part of calling people out of their self absorbed lives and to the true King Jesus. If we posture ourselves in that, I believe we will see the authority of Jesus um, be far more apparent in our lives and see him do far more things. It's interesting that there's this weird little, you talk to missionaries, where, um, where the gospel is breaking new ground, the miraculous usually overlaps. Of course it does. Because it's a new group of people to announce the king to. If we're being all inward and not taking the gospel out there, that would be one of the reasons we're not experiencing the power of Christ, wouldn't it? That would make sense, right? I believe we will see Jesus do great things if we are truly conduits. Um, This guy, Pastor Dale Stevenson, says, God called you to be a conduit, not a bucket. Not to just receive blessings from God and just to continue to receive blessings from God. The reason God puts good in you and does good in you is so that he can do good through you. It's meant to go in. His love is meant to go in and flow outwards from you. We are conduits, not buckets. So as I tell you those two, that simple truth again, that Jesus has the authority to accomplish whatever in you he wants. And Jesus has the authority to to accomplish whatever through you he wants. I wonder what that is this year for you. What is it that Jesus wants to do in you? What is it that Jesus wants to do in you? And as you think of your friends and the spaces you're called to, 
what is it that Jesus wants to do through you this year? And what I want to tell you is that he has the authority to see it come to pass if we posture our lives for him. You are not at the mercy of your addiction. You are not at the mercy of the flow of society. You are not at the mercy of the aggressive atheist. You are not at the mercy of the struggles in your life. You have a king who has authority in all those realms. And you can walk and achieve whatever he has set out for you to achieve. One of the ways I like to think of it, whatever God has called you for, he has everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. For whatever he has called you for. So you can walk into his purposes for you today. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king. And you have authority. You have the authority to establish your kingdom. You have the authority to lay down your life and and to be raised again. You have the authority to forgive our sins and grant us new life. You have authority over everything we face. All the barriers that stop us from, from growing in you, you have authority over. All the barriers that stop us from being all you call us to be in the world, you have authority there. And so, Lord, help us walk confidently in our faith. Help us walk confidently and move confidently in any direction you call us because you are with us and you have authority and we can trust you wholeheartedly. Amen.